I, I was so into it that I forgot to put on my mic. We're, we're so blessed to have so many people with so many different talents, and especially over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be able to see different people up here, and it's really a privilege to be able to worship the Lord. Great thing is because they need to worship too, and leading and practicing and all the things and giving different people a, a break. Uh, it, it, it's really a, a privilege to be able to know that we have so many talented people. We're in the book of Malachi. We are, we, I, I warned you about this and it's wonderful. We're going to be finishing the Old Testament tonight and it has been a long time coming. But it's one of those amazing things, especially as you go through the Bible, it's one of those chapters, if you will, the segue going into the New Testament and this book of Malachi leading into the book of Matthew, as we see here in the last two chapters of Malachi. We're in Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. It says, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you says Yahweh of hosts, but you say, how shall we return? They're asking a very direct question, a very specific question. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says Yahweh of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and empty out for you a blessing until it is beyond enough, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that I will not corrupt the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field fail to bear, says Yahweh of hosts, so all the nations will call you blessed. For you shall be a delightful land, says Yahweh of hosts. And so, Father, as we approach this a very controversial section, especially at the end of the Old Testament, a, a topic that most people don't like to hear, a topic that has been abused throughout church history. And Lord, tonight as we look at your word and what your word actually says about tithing, about what it means to give uh, to the body of Christ, to the church, Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom, not just to theoretically understand it, but actually to apply it to our own lives, Father. And so as we approach this, and even communion tonight, as we approach these weighty topics, that we would lay those things at your feet that we too are struggling with, that we ourselves wrestle with, that we ourselves sometimes don't even want to obey. And so, Lord, tonight I ask that you would free our heart, help us to obey you, help us to trust you. Help us to believe that you are more than enough, beyond enough, as the Bible, as we read tonight, Lord. Lord, thank you so much for preparing our hearts in, in worship, that we have the privilege of, of coming before you and knowing that you accept us and that, that you're there with us even now. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
And amen. Last night, we or last week, we approached, we began this topic of tithe, and it, it started ac actually in chapter 3 here of what it meant for the high priest, the priests themselves, the religious leaders of the day. Uh, they were acting treacherously first in their marriages. They were just nonchalantly divorcing their wives, whether they didn't cook them a good meal or certain things that they didn't like about them. They were getting too old or whatever it was, and they were giving them these certificates of divorce, and they, they were sending them out of the home, and then they were marrying younger women. And, and it's one of those topics, especially as we go into tithing, what does it mean, especially for the religious leaders, those that are in charge of the church, those who were in charge of the temple during the days of, of Malachi? What does it mean to be a standard? Is there a higher calling for those in leadership in the church? Yes. There's a requirement. It's not just for anyone or everyone. There's a standard for being an elder or a pastor or a leader in uh, the church. But there's also a requirement for the congregation as well. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 6, it says this, And the one who is instructed in the word is to share in all good things with the one who instructs him. And then we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9, which I gave as your homework last week to read ahead in, and hopefully you were able to do that, which instructs us in the very same thing. Uh, multiple times throughout the New Testament, you have this commandment to tithe or to give or to share. Our pastors, uh, they receive a, a salary, as with most pastors, right? They receive a salary that comes out of the tithe of the congregation. The problem is with most churches, most people don't tithe. So what happens with the salary? And I've seen it over the years. We've had a large staff at one time, and slowly it's had to be reduced down. Why? Because of finances, right? Or giving to the community, or whether it's Together We Can, or the various things that we participate in terms of missions. Those things at times have to be reduced. Why? Because of resources, right? Tithing. And so we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9, it gives us this Old Testament commandment which says, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while it is threshing. Is God merely concerned about oxen? There was this command in the Old Testament that the ox that was treading down the grain would be allowed to eat of that grain. You, you, were, you weren't supposed to put a, a covering on the muzzle or the snout of the animal that was treading on the grain. Why? Because that's how it got its food, right? You wouldn't want it to starve while it's providing for you. And it's the same thing as Paul brings out to the Corinthian believers in verse 10 there. Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crop. I don't know if you've ever served a 
or had a boss or maybe worked for a company that didn't care about the workers. Where, where literally every day you would wake up and there was no hope in the job. This is saying that there's a, a shared interest for everyone in the work of Christ. That there's a hope in going to church. There, there's a hope in serving the Lord. Now, for me, it's one of those things that, you know, and hopefully you didn't take it the wrong way last week. I, I don't care if you tithe because I don't get a single dime. It doesn't matter to me, but it should matter to you. You know why? Because you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. I'm blessed when I give. We purposely, my, my wife and I, we purposely cut back in certain areas so that we can give to other people. It's one of those things, especially as you learn how to give to others, that there's a joy in the giving. Or verse 11, if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this authority over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this authority, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance of Christ. You do not go into the ministry for the money. You understand that, right? You go into the ministry because you're called. You, you, you serve in the church because you're called. It's, it's not for a paycheck. Look, look at what else Paul says. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly at the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. And now, now Paul, he's writing this. And, and if you, I mean, sure, I'm, I'm sure most of you know this. Uh, Paul, by trade, uh, was a tent maker. He, he earned his living on the side, if you will. Not, not in every church, but in many of the churches that he served in, uh, he earned his living by making tents on the side. And, and, and for most of the churches they worked in, they were, they were just starting out. They were young churches. They didn't understand about tithing. They didn't understand so much about giving. They were immature in their faith. They required a lot of time. They required a lot of instruction. And so Paul is giving of himself. But here in the Corinthian church, they are an established church. In fact, they used to brag about how mature they were in the spiritual gift. And so he's instructing them in this maturity level of giving of sharing what they have to those that serve in the church. Verses 15 and 16, it says, the first Corinthians nine, but I've used none of these things. And I'm not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. For it would be better for me to die than to have anyone make my boast an empty one for I proclaim the gospel. It's not the contribution. It's not the tithe. It's not the paycheck. 
It's the gospel of Christ. I, I will continue to preach the gospel no matter how much you give me. For I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not proclaim the gospel. There are people in this church that serve without any compensation whatsoever. And, and they come multiple times a week. The guys in the back are perfect examples. They're, they're here multiple times a week and they serve and they give and they do it freely of themselves. Those that are up here leading us in worship, the elders, they're, they're unpaid and they do it out of love for the church, the Sunday school leaders, the, the, those that serve your children every single week, multiple times a week. That they just do it out of love for the body of Christ. It's truly a privilege to come to a church where, you know, and like I told you last week, the pastor very seldom brings it up. And the only reason I, this is the very first time I've ever brought it up. The only reason why, because we treat straight through the Bible. And when we come to a subject, whatever subject that may be, we teach on it, Right. And hopefully in a, a comprehensive way. But there's excuses that people give for not tithing. You know that, right? There, whether subconsciously or consciously, we always have an excuse for not tithing. There, there's two main excuses. I'm sure there's lots of others. But there's two main excuses for not tithing. The first one, you probably already know this. I don't got enough money. I don't got enough money. Uh, I like to brag about Cat and Gage because Cat's not here tonight, but Cat and Gage, they went on a Israel trip back in 2020, February of 2020. And they, they really wanted to go on this trip, but they didn't feel like they had the finances for this trip. And so what they did is they cut out all their subscription services. It's amazing what you'll find out if you cut out all your subscription services, right? So they, they cut out all their various things and they were able to save up over whatever it was, 14 month time period to be able to go to Israel. It's amazing what you can find when you cut things down. The privilege of understanding what it means to give rather than accumulate or acquire. Do, do we always have enough if we trim down certain things. The second one, first one was not enough money. Second one is, I don't trust the pastors with my money. I don't trust the pastors. You may not, now we go to a church and we love our pastors and we trust our pastors, but if you really examine it, if really examine your heart, I don't trust how the pastors are going to spend my money. That, that whole idea of I don't trust anyone with the distribution of my money. And there's a fallacy in both of those questions, by the way. There's a fallacy in both of those thoughts. Because it's not our money. Who gave you that money in the first place? Now, you have to really think about this. How much of the money that you have, how much of the salary that you have, how much of the stuff that you have has been given to you by God? How much of it? A hundred percent. 
You had the energy that was given to you by God. You had the talents that were given to you by God. You had the opportunities, the work, the position that you have by God who gave us all of our money. It's the Lord. And what does he ask from us? Does he ask for 90%? No. Does he ask for 50%? No. What does he ask for? A tithe, a tenth, as we're going to find out. Oh, you get to keep 90% of the stuff that I give you, God says. All I ask is that you share. And, and it, it's scary. It's, it's really scary. And again, I know that those of you that come on Wednesday nights, you're the ones that do uh, serve so many times. I don't know if you're thinking this, but I know I would be thinking this. I wish this person was here to hear this message, right? But you're here tonight. You're here to hear this message. And God's going to bless you, by the way, and we'll see that too. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 through 18 says, The elders who lead well are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor at preaching the word and teaching for the scripture says, quoting again the same verse from uh, 1 Corinthians, the same verse from Leviticus, you shall not muzzle the ox while it is threshing. The laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, I don't know if you think of the, the pastor or the person that's speaking behind uh, the pulpit as an ox or, or some sort of working animal. Hopefully you don't think of them that way. But the whole idea is the person that is up here worthy of a double on. Next week, you guys are going to get to listen to uh, our, one of our elders, Larry Vasquez. And, and, and Larry, he works long hours. Uh, he runs a business. He, he serves multiple times. He leads the, the worship teams. And he, he's one of those guys that has the gift of uh, teaching as well. And, and, and you're going to notice something next week. There's going to be people here that never come on Wednesday nights because they want to hear Larry speak. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Okay. And, and, and it's one of those lessons, those teachings, those sermons that you're going to hear, that you're going to remember for weeks and weeks, if not months and months. Because the Lord speaks through those that he appoints to high places. Are, are they worthy of that double honor? Yes, they are. So if we understand the excuses for not tithing, how does the Bible tell us to tithe? The first one there is joyful. You all know this one. Again, to the Corinthian church, in the second letter to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, each one must or do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful. Don't give out of compulsion. Don't give because you feel like you have to. Give what God tells you to give and do it joyfully. I remember this story of a, a pastor when he, he was very, he wasn't wealthy or anything, but he promised to give God 1% and then raise every single year an extra percent in his tithe, in his giving. And of course, you start out with 1%, then you go to 
2% the next year, and then 3% the night, and then 4% the and, and as the Lord stretches those gifts, it's amazing how God always provides, as we read in Malachi, beyond enough. Because what happens when I create anything into a habit? The Lord blesses. I, I used to get, my brothers and I, we used to get $1 a week for our, what we did. We get this uh, dollar and, and my dad would always tell us, you need to give a tithe. Okay, so what's 10% of a dollar? Dime, right? And of course, you have to take that dollar and you have to split it, of course. And, and so if you're saving up for something, especially as a child in your mind, you're having to take that dime and it, that, that dime's worthless. Does the church need my dime? No, but does God want your dime? Why? It's not the dime. It's the heart behind the dime. Because then it becomes a habit so that when what you're doing as a, a young child, it now grows into a habit when you're older. God uses that heart. First thing that we should do when we tithe is joyfully. The second one, again, from 2 Corinthians is in worship. Do you understand that tithing is a part of the worship service? Do you know why we take tithe before the sermon? It's not so that you won't tithe less because the pastor gave a bad sermon. No. Or, or more because the pastor gave a good sermon. No. It, it's part of the worship service. It's part of the worship that we have in singing and glorifying God and giving as well. It's part of the worship. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, it says this, For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also abounding through many thanksgivings to God. It's part of the worship service when you give to the Lord. Going back to Malachi here, in verse 10, we read this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. For the priest of Malachi's day, it, it wasn't so much just a salary, it was their food source. It's how they were fed. A person would bring their lamb, and part of that lamb would be burned or sacrificed to the Lord, given to the Lord, and the rest of that lamb was shared with the priest. That, that was part of their food. That was part of their salary. Unfortunately, what happened, and we'll see it when we get to the book of, of Matthew, is they abused this. And they said, this sacrifice isn't worthy of the Lord. You have to buy one of ours that, that's already been pre-approved, that's been clean already. And so what they would do is they would fleece the flock. They would take advantage of the heart of the people. Look at what else it says there in verse 10. And test me now in this, says Yahweh of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and empty out for you a blessing until it is beyond enough. Wow. Does God just give you 
the same thing back or, or does he just give you enough? No, he gives you what? Beyond enough. And it's one of those things. In fact, it's one of the few times we see in the entire Bible where God says, test me in this. Test me in this. I want to bless your socks off. Test me in this thing and see if I will open the windows of heaven for you. It's truly a privilege as we we walk through, and we're going to see this when we go between the Testaments, that the people of Israel didn't want the blessings of God. In fact, they didn't want God anymore. And one of those things, as we see here, was because of the tithing. They were robbing God. Look at what it says there in Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. Your words have been strong against me, says Yahweh. But you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is worthless to serve God. And what gain is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before Yahweh of hosts. The second thing that people always balk about is, and, and it can be either one. Some people have lots of money and they give lots. And that, that's wonderful. Other people have lots of time. Do you know that as we read through this, especially serving, that there is a tithe in your time as well? Have you ever thought about that? Oh, I'll just give God my tithe and I don't have to serve. Or I'll just give him my check and I don't have to do a teach Sunday school or, or do something like that. And, and, and it goes to multiple extremes in these cases. But do you understand that God wants both? Not either or, but both. There, there was a requirement of serving in the community of God or Yahweh. And what are they saying? It's worthless to serve the Lord. There, there's no benefit for us. Why should we serve? Why should I serve? Look at what Malachi says there in verse 15. So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. You know what they were doing? They were comparing themselves to the world and trying to imitate the world. Do, do you understand what he's saying here? By the way, remember what is the next book right after Malachi? Matthew. Do you know that the very first sermon that Jesus gives, what's called the, the Mount of Beatitudes or the Beatitudes, he contradicts every single one of these thoughts. 400 years later, by the way, the thought process is still thinking, I want to look like a wicked person. I want to be blessed like a wicked person. If, if the world gets blessed by doing these things, why should I even serve God? Look at what Jesus says. The very first things out of the mouth of Jesus, the very first sermon that he gives in the Bible, the Beatitudes, and you've probably heard this many times, but every single one of these contradicts these statements from Malachi. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the lowly, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Again, contradicting all these thoughts of the people of Israel. By the way, and we'll get there hopefully in a, a couple of months, but every single time this word blessed is used here, it's the word happy. That God wants to give you joy in serving him. Joy. Jesus continues on there in verses 10 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5. I, I love this section. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is what? Tiny? No, great. Huge. Where would you rather store up your riches? In a place where it's be corrupted, where you're just going to give it to other people and they're going to use it anyway, or to squander it, or it rusts, or it becomes obsolete. Where would you rather have your treasure? Jesus says this, just capping it off here, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, including who? Malachi. The very last of the Old Testament prophets in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, it continues on there. And those who feared Yahweh spoke to one another, and Yahweh gave heed, heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear Yahweh and who think upon his uh, name. Does God always call a remnant? Does God always call a remnant? It's not the majority of people. It's not the people that just come on certain days of the year or certain holidays or whatever. Me, though, those, those CEOs that come to church on Christmas and Easter only. It's to those that serve and faithfully give. It's the remnant, if you will. Look at what it says there. A book of remembrance was written before him, capital H, God himself. And for those who fear Yahweh and who think upon his name. This is a high calling. This is a high calling that Malachi is presenting here. Verse 17, and they will be what? And they will be mine. Says Yahweh of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. By the way, there's going to be after the book of Malachi. Malachi was written in 420 BC. There's going to be 400 years before Matthew comes on the scene. There's going to be 400 years before John the Baptist starts baptizing people. There's going to be 400 years before Jesus comes on the scene. Is that a long time for God to be silent? Oh, yeah. Look at the last verse there of Verse 3, so you will return and see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve God. Don't look like the world. 
Don't try to imitate the world. No matter how glamorous it looks, what's going to happen to it? It's going to be burned up. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to fade away. Six more verses left. Malachi chapter 4. Verse 1, for behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every worker of wickedness will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them aflame, says Yahweh of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. For you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and will go forth and skip about like calves. From the stall. Have you ever seen a, a baby animal skip? Maybe a goat or a lamb or a calf or, or something like that. That that joy, that lightness that those baby animals have. They jump around and, and they look like they're having lots of fun, right? And th this is what it's like to be a new creation in Christ. You're that new creation, that, that babe in Christ that has this freedom to love and to have joy and all these things that make us free in Christ. The problem is that we get old. And what happens when you get old? Yeah, it's the cow that was laying down and, or the dog or whatever it is that gets old, right? And the same thing with us. We lose our newness a lot of the time. We, we lose that, that skip in our step, that joy that comes from knowing the Lord. Who is the one that gives it to you, by the way? Who is the one that gives it to you? It says it right there. The son of righteousness will give you healing in its wings. Isn't that amazing? Is there a freshness? that can only come from God? Is there, there a freshness, a renewing, if you will, that can only come from God? Pastor was talking about that on Sunday, about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, of the renewing of the Holy Spirit, that, that infilling that all of us need all the time, right? Do, do we leap? Do we get old? Do we get stuck in our ways? Verse 3, and you will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day which I am preparing, uh, says Yahweh of hosts. There's that title that we've been seeing over and over again in the minor prophets. This title that is used more than any of the other titles for God. The one who is in charge of all the armies of heaven itself. All the angels. Verse 4, remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and judgments which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day, Yahweh. Now, Elijah, he was all the way back in the king. Uh, Elijah lived at least 500 years before um, uh, Malachi comes on the scene. Who is this Elijah? Is he going to somehow be reincarnated or something like that? No, we see this as we're going to be reading in the New Testament. It's John the Baptist. The one who's going to be preparing the way of uh, the Lord. We, we saw this multiple times already in uh, the minor prophets. 
But you remember John the Baptist, right? Uh, John the Baptist was uh, born of a guy by the name of uh, Zechariah. And, and remember Zechariah, right? Oh, what did Zechariah do when he went into the temple? It was his turn to be the high priest. It was his turn that year to go into what was called the Holy of Holies. An angel comes to him. They have never had a child in their entire life. He and his wife, Elizabeth, are both old. And this angel says, you're going to have a child. And, and what happens to Zechariah's heart? Doubt. He doubts the angel. And for nine months, he's going to be mute. He's not going to be able to talk. Okay? He still can hear, but he can't talk. Okay? Look at what it says there in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. In speaking about this child that's going to be born to Zechariah, you can read the whole chapter yourself, but we're just going to read verse 17 here. And it says, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of who? Elijah. This is Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, who's going to be the cousin of Jesus, who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. In the same theme or the same personality as Elijah. And look at what he says there right after the word Elijah. This is so important. This is so important to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And you know where he's quoting from? The very next verse in Malachi. The very last verse of the Old Testament. The very last verse of the Old Testament, he is quoting to Zechariah about his son who is now going to usher in, prepare the way for the Messiah. This old man who now is the high priest who's going before the God himself and he's bringing the, 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 this, these prayers for the people of Israel praying for them and this angel comes and says you're going to have a, a son and he's going to prepare the way for the one that everybody's been looking for the messiah the, the one from which people have been waiting for since the time that adam and eve sinned your son is going to prepare his way in the same vein as elijah look at what it says there malachi chapter 4 verse 6 and what will he do? This one who's going to come to prepare the way, this Elijah, if you will, the same thing that was quoted to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land, devoting it to destruction. And the Old Testament ends right there. The Old Testament comes to this close in preparation for the one who's going to be, by the way, the Word of God made flesh. What's the worst thing anything anybody can do to you? And, and God had disciplined the people of Israel multiple times. He had put them in captivity. They had, there, there was destruction. There was plagues. There was various things that happened to the nation of Israel. 
But you know what? The worst thing, the worst consequence that happens because of the sins of Israel and our sins as well, too, by the way. The worst thing. Silence. Where for now, for the next 400 years, there's not going to be a single prophet. There's not going to be a single word of God. We see it as just this, oh, Malachi, and then the next day I start reading Matthew. No, that's not how it happened. 400 years of silence from God. And during this time, there's going to be multiple things that happen. There, there's going to be nations that rise. There's going to be nations that fall. We're going to see it in, in a couple of weeks here. I just want to read for you Amos chapter 8, verse 12. People will wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro. They will seek the word of Yahweh, but they will not find it until Jesus comes on the scene as the Word made flesh. Wow. When the New Testament now starts, a new covenant starts, and we get to celebrate that new covenant tonight, by the way. Isn't that amazing? The communion service is all about the new covenant cut in the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the, the men to come up. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come up if they will. We've been reading uh, 1 Corinthians during the Minor Prophets, and, and, and in terms of the communion service, whenever we have the communion service, when we were going through the, the Minor Prophets, it, we, we were actually reading through 1 Corinthians chapter 11. When we get to Matthew, we're going to be reading Matthew's account of the communion. So every First Wednesday, we're going to be reading it from the book of Matthew, okay? And then when we get to Mark, it'll be from the book of Matthew. And when we get to Luke and John, it'll be from the book of Luke. So hopefully we'll get a, a little bit of a, a flavor for each of these communions, different perspectives of the communion service. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, it says this, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must test himself, and in so doing is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. So as the men pass out the communion, as, as the ladies, they they lead us in, in worship. Hold the communion elements. Examine yourselves. Because th this is a high calling. This is a sacred event. We don't believe that it comes the, the body and the blood transubstantiationally into your body. But this is a sacred event that we get to participate in together corporately as the body of Christ. So hold those elements as the men pass them out. Thank you, John. Thank you. Um, oh.
Bow down me, on me, oh, Thank you. Right behind. Right behind. Right behind. <clears throat> Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was being betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so whenever we take this, we remember what Jesus Christ did for us. In the same way, he took the cup. Also after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament or new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You are holding, the, the privileges we're holding this is to know that the whole testament, the old and the new, represented in this communion that we are celebrating. That the covenant that was cut in the blood of Jesus Christ, the privilege of knowing that every single time that we do this it's a remembrance of what christ for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the death of the lord until he comes not only is this a remembrance of what christ did for us but it's a looking forward to what christ is going to do when he comes again for his bride and it's going to taste so much better, by the way. With a new tongue, with new taste buds. The wedding feast, the lamb, and we get to enjoy it together. This is our tradition, and, and we'll also see this when we get to the book of Matthew. They, they sang a hymn. As they went up to the Mount of Olives, after they had, they had taken of the, the Lord's Supper, as they shared this meal uh, together, Tonight we get to sing a hymn too. If you wouldn't mind uh, standing, if you can. I, I love this hymn. I, um, on, on Monday nights we sing. We have the privilege of being led by, by Hector. It, it's truly a privilege to be able to do that. And the next two weeks, Dominique is going to be teaching on Monday nights. And one of his favorite hymns, we sang it on Monday is this majestic hymn. It says this, Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. As you sing this, let your voices be loud. O oh Lord my God, 
When I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe. My soul to thee, thou soul, how great thou art, how great thou art. When through the wood and forest glades I wander, and hear the birds, Things really in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and then sing my soul, hey thou art, hey thou art, then sing my soul, my sing. Your God, thou, and when I think that God is the not sparing, send him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden glad to take away my sin. Then sing my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, thou art. Then sing my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art. How great one, and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart, and then I shall bow and there proclaim, My God, how great, and then sing my soul, my say. Your God to thee, how great, how great thou art, and sing my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. So, Father, tonight, as we relish the joy that we feel, as we relish in your glory that you share with us, we relish in being in your presence tonight. As we, we continue to remember that taste that's in our mouth, the remembrance of you, the privilege of celebrating who you are and what you did for us. And then looking forward to what you will do for us. 
just as the Old Testament and the New Testament, as we're ending the Old Testament and starting the New Testament, the privilege of, of knowing these covenants that were cut it had always been looking forward to your Son coming and dying for us. The sacrifice of God Himself. So Lord, we thank You for that. We ask that You would prepare our hearts Lord, as we, we approach leaving this building, the joy that we feel, the, the pleasure that we feel in worshiping you as we, we leave this building, that we would take that with us into a dying world that needs your joy, that denies who you are, as we even saw here tonight, that calls good evil and evil good. Help us to be your lights. Help us to be your beatitudes. Help us to be your blessings in this world. And so, Lord, I ask you bless these, my friends, my family, my, my church brothers and sisters in Christ that love you with all their heart, those that are here, those that may be watching tonight. Lord, I, I especially lift up to you my brother Sonny tonight. Lord, as he prepares to go to Mississippi, I ask that you bless him. Lord, be with him as he goes there. Just that pleasure of getting to know him, that pleasure of him coming here on Wednesday nights. Lord, just bless him and use him and help him to be a light there in Mississippi. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege of each and every single person here. Lord, I ask that you use us for your glory, for your good pleasure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen and all God's people 